0: King's hey! There. Hello, <laughs> hey! Hello,
2: Chris oh. Franz.
1: Hey, look at that! Oh nice. here I am,
2: live in living color.
0: I certainly you are. are a wave, a much better room than uh, than either of us are in.
2: Oh yeah! <laughs> nice, <laughs>
0: nice. <laughs> hey, we went in another room.
2: I know. So <laughs> I this don't. Is yeah. a, this one is a vintage Gretsch from 1964. I paid a fortune for that thing, but, it, but I, I love it. It's the, it's the one I, I leave set up all the time in my music room
0: here.
1: That's
2: great. Yeah,
0: and it gets played regularly.
2: Yeah, it does. Although Tina said, it, I took it on stage one time, and Tina said, Chris, it's not loud enough. So, <laughs> really? So, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's it's Records very well. You know, this is what Charlie Watts from The Stones would play. Yeah. In those, He still plays Stretch, but I think he updated his uh, kit since then. But and that is a Robert Rauschenberg it is. print poster of uh, Talking Heads Speaking in Tongues.
1: Oh, beautiful. Oh, my gosh.
2: Signed, yeah. signed by the artist. Yeah, really nice. That's so funny. <laughs>
0: That's an inspiring room.
2: Yeah, this is. <laughs> I'm trying to stay on brand here. <laughs> <You>
1: certainly are. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: God. I'd say you are. Yeah.
1: Mm, I can look at that room. Long,
0: long, long. <laughs> we were. It's like, and I'm also we're looking at the books. You know, like the late night. Uh, you know, when watching all the late night hosts, now you try and see the books in the background.
2: Yes. <laughs> good luck reading those. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not a those chance. are all. Those are all rock and roll books. And- <laughs> Well, music memoirs and you know artist bios and things.
1: All right, so you're the king of segues. Apparently, you have (laughs) one yourself that's coming out. Yes, you have a music memoir. So, Holly, Holly, from the (laughs) What Different? We are on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. Um, Holly, please tell us what's going on here. Who are we talking to? What who do we have? We
0: are welcoming drummer, Hall of Fame drummer, rock and roll Hall of Fame drummer, Chris Franz. From Talking Heads, from Tom Tom Club, from Compass Point All Stars? <laughs> Is that can I say that? Is that a band no, officially? I
2: would, actually I I'm not officially one of the Compass Point All Stars. <laughs> although although I know them all and I have utmost respect and all, but I I, I did, the Compass Point All Stars were uh, a bunch of guys that played on Grace Jones' records and also uh Joe Cocker and a, a number, Gwen Guthrie. They played for a number of island artists, and and uh, I, I somehow I got into a couple of photographs with them, so people think I was one of them, but I I, I can't say I was because uh, that wouldn't be fair to the to all of them.
0: <laughs> okay, I wasn't totally sure because you were you, we, we both of us read the book. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. And so, I understood you were involved with them, but yeah. I didn't realize that you didn't actually play.
2: There was a lot of uh, cross pollination there, and and sometimes we did play together, but but uh, not officially.
0: You were in an official Compass Compass Point All Star. Okay. <laughs> I did. Live,
2: we did live there. But, but the All-Stars were a, were a specific unit that was selected by Chris Blackwell to back up Grace Jones.
0: Yeah. And
2: they were like a super group. One, uh, the guitarist was from England. Keyboard player was from Nigeria by way of Paris. Sly and Robbie on bass and drums were from Jamaica. and Mikey Chung on guitar. They called him Mao because he looked just like Chairman Mao. <laughs> <laughs> Still does, actually. (laughs) Mikey Chung on guitar and Sticky Thompson on uh, percussion. Those were the compass point all-stars.
0: Okay, and that was a fun point in the book, and I know that we will get get there, but the book (laughs) is called Remain in Love, Talking Heads, Tom Tom Club, Tina.
1: Yeah. Did you have to figure out what order you wanted that in?
2: <laughs> well, well, I thought about it for a while. And, and I figured that a lot of people who would be interested in buying my book, like browsing, it might be talking heads that initially gets them interested in it. I mean I have no del- delusions about that. I mean t- people want to read about Talking Heads, but I would say Tina is the star of the book.
0: <laughs> That's that is what I found. I really found that that yes, yeah. of course Talking Heads if I was if I we were not talking to you and I was just a a fan of rock and roll, the Tina t- I thought the Talking Heads would draw me in, but Tina had the greatest impact, I think. For me. Oh,
2: good. good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she, she's um She's a a wee powerhouse, you know. She's really something.
1: Well, you talk about in the book about how she did not want to be a part of the band because (laughs) this was, I mean, in the seventies, I guess it was unheard of to have a a female member band member, and she was, and I guess she kind of subscribed to that philosophy for for a little bit.
2: Well, I think she she probably correctly. Assumed that that the uh, rock and ro- being in a rock and roll band was kind of like a, a guy thing, a boys' club rather, not not a guy thing, a boys' club, and and there there was a lot of shall we say sexism on display uh, in the in those days with rock and roll bands, and and Tina loved rock and roll, of course, but she said. Oh, no, 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 no. You guys do that. I'll, I'll be supportive in any way I, I can, but no, I'm not going to join the band. I, I originally asked her in 1972, mm. and it, it took until 1975 for, for her to say yes. <laughs>
0: three years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So
2: three, three years of trying to be persuasive.
0: As an aside, what would have been her path had she not ended up joining the band?
2: Well, she is a, an excellent painter, and mm-hmm. she had imagined that she would be uh, you know a, a painter in New York City and showing in galleries and things. And I have no doubt she would have had great success, but I'm glad she chose to play the bass. <laughs> yes,
1: we are too. <laughs> but actually that's similar to yourself. Although you you played the drums in high school, you gave up the drum. You left your drums in in your home. I guess that was in was it Pittsburgh.
2: Pittsburgh, yes. Okay. Uh-huh.
1: So you left your, your drums at home, and you're like, I'm going to the, I guess they RISD. call it RIS, RISD, yeah. and, yes. and I'm going to be an artist. I, you know, forget the drums. Did you go to RISD and think, I'm done being a musician?
2: I, I didn't think I was done being a musician, but I, I think I, uh, I I, thought that I was going to be a painter, you know, and uh, maybe a painter who occasionally plays some music or something. And I loved painting, and I was determined that that I was going to, uh, you know, make my mark in painting and uh, the the history of art. But instead, we ended up doing it in the his, history of music. Music is art, but but uh, you know, I, I I I didn't have my drums for the for the first year, and. The, by halfway through the second year, I was really jonesing to play. And so I, I asked my dad if, if we could drive them up to Providence from Pittsburgh, and, and he said yes.
1: <laughs> now that's Beth support. That is crazy, because usually, I mean, you, you hear about the artistic uh, lifestyle, and it's because you mo- you go into an artistic life because your parents don't understand, and you know they're not supportive of anything, and you're, you kind of forge your own path. But you're, uh, throughout this book, it seems like your parents had your back and whatever you wanted. They seemed supportive yeah. They're of They were very endeavors. supportive of what you wanted to do.
2: I was very fortunate uh, in that respect. I, I know not every drummer has, this, yeah. <laughs> has the same uh, – oh. not every drummer's parents have the same generosity of spirit.
1: <laughs> I can't think of but,
2: one. It's- <laughs> or guitar players for that matter. Right.
1: Okay. You did – and actually – Going to drums for a, for a second in high school. You said you could still in your book. You brag that you can still you still know the cadence. You can still know the march. Oh, yeah. Can you go <laughs> ahead? Bang out the cadence right now. Let's let's put your let's hear it. <laughs> oh okay. Well, I'll just I'll, on the I'll table.
2: Go. Does it have to be on a drum or well, just
1: no? Just on the table. I just want to, I'm kind like, of curious.
2: Let's. Can you hear this?
1: Yeah. Like that, okay. <laughs> Very
2: nice. That's pretty good. Ad infinitum. Yeah, of course.
1: Did you enjoy the march? I mean, I was in marching band, the drumline as well. Did oh, you, you were. Good, yeah, good. Yeah, it was really good fun. I loved it, and I'm sure that that uh, helped you create like a like I need to be part of a band.
2: You know, I still I still do a um, well. We didn't get to do it this year. It was virtual this year, but I I lead. Um, in my neighborhood, we, we have a, a very nice library, and they have a children's parade on the 4th of July. Oh. And I, I lead that with, with a marching drum that my dad gave me when I was 12. It belonged to the, to the U.S. Army, and he got it for me.
1: <laughs> and you still use it? I still use it. Oh. Yeah. That's that really crazy? lovely. Yeah. That's amazing. Back at RISD, you start up. You hooked up with some people from Berkeley, Berkeley School of Music, and you started a, like a soul band. Uh, and yeah. you, you mentioned another teachable moment was trying to learn how to drum slowly, which is actually tough. <laughs> why? Yeah. Why is very- that? Why? And why was it valuable for you? I mean, obviously, I mean, take me to the river wouldn't be the same if you couldn't drum slowly. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Which that—that's an interesting story which we'll, we'll get to, but yeah, I just, um, you know, this was a soul band and they like to play, uh, some ballads, some, uh, what, what nowadays they call slow jams and, uh, you know, by the shy lights and the Delphonics and groups like that. It took me, uh, I was used to rocking out to like Beatles stones, Dave Clark five, that style of music and to, to play a, very slow lovely ballad was a real challenge for me but eventually I got I got the feel you know eventually and regarding um take me to the river we had been playing that song like that's an Al Green song and uh, I guess the only cover we ever did really Al Green did it very up tempo compared to how we recorded it and we had been playing it up very up tempo but then our producer Brian Eno said I think we should slow this so- this song down and and make it like play it like as slow as you possibly can without messing up. So we tried it and and uh, sounded great that way.
1: You know, <laughs> that was yeah, that was some great advice. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was actually. You did do. I don't know if it's a photographic memory or something, but uh, you, you mm-hmm. there's a lot of detail in there, and a lot of it, a lot of set lists are in there. Um, a couple covers you did were uh, like love is all around the trogs and 96 tears yes
2: yes yeah. yes
1: so how did you how did you choose cover songs I mean you know it's that- well,
2: well we love the trogs mm-hmm. uh, we, we also used to do um, down at CBGb's I can't control myself by the trogs and um, we but we never recorded any of that I think I think take me to the river was the only Cover that we actually recorded, I think, because after that David said, "I don't want to. I don't want to have hits with covers. I want to have hits with our songs." And, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do?
1: <laughs> uh, hey,
2: can't blame the guy. Um, no, no, it makes total sense.
1: <laughs> Um, Stop making sense Come on (laughs) Yeah Please (laughs) Talking with Chris Brands The author of Remain in Love We're having a lot of fun We're going to stop right here And we'll be right back
0: Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast and our chat with Chris France of Talking Heads and Tom, Tom Club and more. Well, because you hit on CBGBs, you were talking about CBGBs, which you talked a lot about in the book. Yeah. And it created a really great, we of course, you know, you know of the club and know, you know, somewhat of the history, but you painted a really, really full portrait of the club and those days, you know, being at that club.
2: Well, it was, a, it had a real atmosphere. <laughs> We spent a lot of time in at CBGB's. You know, one of the best things Hilly did, the owner, Hilly Crystal, was if you had ever played at CBGB's, you didn't have to pay admission ever again. So it became like a a place where musicians would, would just hang out, whether, whether they were playing or not. It was, it was like a a real clubhouse that, that way. And uh, everybody exchanged gossip and, some some bands would encourage each other and other bands would be rude to each other, you know. <laughs> That's <laughs> good
0: incentive it, though to
2: y- Yeah. Yeah, it was a place it was you know, you could even get a free beer if the bartender liked you, you know. <laughs> yeah.
0: But which is important then.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, everybody was broke. I made I made just just over a hundred dollars a week, I think. <laughs> That was what my day job paid me. Tina got even less because, as you know, she was a woman, and woman got less.
1: Yeah. What was the luck in finding, you know, a location in New York that that just happened to be in an artistic area? Like, I mean, did you, you did you know at the time, like, there something is happening in this area of town? I, I know there was uh, the way you found it was kind of uh, interesting. Your apartment,
2: yeah. Yeah, I, f- I found it in the New York Times industrial section on Sunday, industrial real estate, which is what Tina's brother to- where Tina's brother told me I should look because uh, he had a lot of experience in- with lofts. We kn- we knew it was like on the outskirts of Soho. It was <laughs> it was sort of like in between Soho and and the East Village, mm. and it was only three blocks from CBGB. So we knew that was a good thing and uh, yeah cbgb's was our neighborhood um, bar you
1: know yeah and, yeah and you just happened to be walking around in that area or what i mean did you stumble into cbgb's or did you how did you discover well, the club because it wasn't really <laughs> a, it wasn't really cbgb's back then or was or it was just starting no out.
2: it was it was cbgb's i had a friend living on bond street which is uh caddy corner across the Bowery from CBGB. He's a painter, and I went to visit him the first day I was in New York, and he said, you know, Chris, I know you're interested in music and, and stuff and bands, and there's something going on at that club across the street CBGB. You should check it out. <laughs> and I did, and that was a really good tip.
0: Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, history being made. Who knew, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, when I walked in, I, I, I thought – you know, the first night, no one was there because it was like a Wednesday night. And there was a couple of guys shooting pool in the back the back room. So I heard the pool balls, and I walked back there, and I said, going to be in any, any music tonight? And uh, this guy was dressed in a sharkskin, silver sharkskin <laughs> suit with, like, a purple shirt and a white tie and those big silver sort of Elvis yeah. Presley style sunglasses. And he said to me in a very heavy Mexican accent, uh, no, man, no music tonight, but come back on the weekend. The Ramones will be here. So I thought, oh, the Ramones, they must be a Mexican band. (laughs) uh, Surprise. I came back back on the weekend, and I found out they were four guys from Forest Hills, Queens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Those were some great stories also. You're recounting touring with them.
2: Yes. Oh, fantastic. For my money, that's one of the best rock and roll tours of all time. Can you imagine today going to see Talking Heads and the Ramones? The Ramones would still close the show because nobody wants to follow the Ramones. <laughs> Not even Talking Heads.
1: Now, that that must have been interesting to you because you saw these, these four guys that uh, just had this magic on stage didn't necessarily get along off stage. There was always, there seemed to be, as, as you were kind of painting, there was, there was always something going on. Johnny would say something to, and that would irk everyone else. Or, you know, there was always some little thing. Did you make a note of that? Or like, you know, even though in your book as well, you said, you know, talking heads had some issues with it within the band that you recognize when we're on stage, this is, this is something special and we got to keep this going. Yeah.
2: Yes. Exactly. That's that's how I felt.
1: But, <laughs> and your dog? I, who
2: is that? Who, what kind of dog? What, what's yeah. that? I, I think it's the UPS man came. <laughs> you no, know, in these days of COVID, you get lots of deliveries. <laughs> yeah. Poppy, hush. Poppy, nice. Uh,
0: what kind of dog is Poppy?
2: Poppy's a beagle. I have two bees, Poppy and <laughs> Keke. Oh.
0: And
2: uh, they're both very good dogs. But the you know the. the they en- <laughs> enunciators, you know.
1: <laughs> we welcome dogs. Yeah,
2: we're dog, <laughs> dog friendly.
1: Set the scene for uh, the creation of, of Psycho Killer.
2: Tina and I had a painting studio at the Rhode Island School of Design that we shared in a building called Car House, and uh, we were very fortunate to get that a studio in that building because the the rooms were nice and the the atmosphere was. Good. David and I had this little band called the Artistics.
1: Not pretentious at all.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We we were we were a very unpretentious band. We (laughs) we played cover songs and we played uh, for our friends at parties. And um, was it just the two of you? By the way, no, it was four a four piece. um, And sometimes we had people sit in with us. But it was uh, you know we were all RISD students. Mm -hmm. And David came to our studio one day, and he said, I've got this uh, song that I've begun, and I, I I wonder if you could help me with it. And uh, he wanted, in particular, the the middle eight, the bridge of the song, to be in a foreign language. <laughs> and uh, uh, Tina's mother is from France, and she's fluent in French. And, and so I said, well, Tina, you speak French. Why don't you... Uh, you know, write something. And and she did. She just sat down right on the spot and wrote this great, like, middle eight verse mm-hmm. in in what's known as uh, classical French. It's not slang or anything. And I wrote a couple of verses myself. I think I, 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 I shouted out something, after we got a few verses, I shouted out something like, we are vain and we are blind. <laughs> and Tina said, yeah, and I hate people when they're not polite. And that, that got incorporated into the song. But the song was Psycho Killer, and it was um, the first song we ever wrote together. And I loved it. I thought it was so good. And it, to me, it sounded like kind of the Velvet Underground meets Otis Redding or something. Mm-hmm. Although David had said he wrote it in the spirit of, to be in the spirit of Alice Cooper because Alice yep. Cooper was very big at the time right with was songs like billion dollar babies and mm-hmm. stuff like that we started playing psycho killer with with the artistics and we uh, we wrote a couple other originals too and so we started ad- adding originals to original songs to our set we didn't have very many we had a few and uh, another one was warning sign Mm-hmm. Which is uh, on the Talking Heads' second album. That's how that happened. And and when when we did that, I just thought, damn, we should do more of this, and we should we should move to New York and start a band.
1: <laughs> more of the collaboration, you mean? More of the, the
2: yeah, more songwriting. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Is that the way you thought the Talking Heads would be, or to- Talking Heads would be just <laughs> like always <laughs> collaborating together? Um, yes, yeah. yes,
2: and. To tell you the truth, that's how it was. You know, yes. uh, some people have this; uh, they imagine this other kind of uh, single bullet theory, right? But it wasn't real. It wasn't really a single bullet. It was. Uh,
1: yeah, explain to us because you mentioned warning sign and in the book. You also talk about that where David almost took full credit for that song. Yeah. How how does a song writing yeah. how songwriting credit work once a song is recorded? Do you have, is there, there's paperwork or how do you agree on what, who wrote what?
2: That's a good question. You know, I I think (laughs) when people are working together, it's a good idea to have an agreement in advance. uh, So everybody understands what, what it is, but what the law says, what publishing law says is that a song is divided into two parts, lyrics or words and melody. Now, Melody doesn't mean every single instrument on the record. It means the, the top line melody, what, what the singer would sing. So legally, you know, if you write the lyrics and the melody, then it's your song. But if you're a group of people working together <laughs> and uh, somebody maybe wrote most of the lyrics, but another person came up with the title or came up with the, uh, the middle eight section or just came up with some musical event that that gets repeated throughout the song and becomes a signature well then it's it's it gets more complicated some bands handle it by uh just saying okay we're going to split everything four ways no matter what and other other bands fight about it
1: yeah
0: (laughs) didn't you 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 mentioned having a verbal agreement that you were going to share the writing credit
2: Yes, we did have uh, many times had verbal agreements. Yeah. yeah.
0: And ultimately it didn't work out that way.
2: Yes. Not always. Sometimes. The important thing was the end result. And in the end, we made some great records together. Mm -hmm. Thank God they still sound good today. I mean, can you imagine? You spent all that time and now they sound like passe or something it would be terrible oh,
1: yeah. i just i watched stop making sense last night and it was mm-hmm. it, i was it was thrilling it's still <laughs> thrilling to see this yeah. band and, and that those songs are just they're timeless it's it's amazing yeah, yeah. That, such a wonderful thing yep. i was going to mention about um since we're still on kind of band lyrics um this uh this friend of yours mike michael Wayne eve he um he he also he came he had some lyrics for you and also helped you out with something else. Can you explain his yes this, uh, yes timeline?
2: he he was a, another RISD student. He was visiting us in New York. He knew that we were looking for a name for our band, and we we had we had tried out different names. You know, sort of like we put the letters on the bass drum head, you know, and see how it looked. <laughs> Say the name a few times see how it sounded, but 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 we hadn't settled on anything. We didn't find we hadn't found the name yet. And um, Wayne one day said, "You know, I've been reading TV Guide, <laughs> <laughs> and, and in TV Guide they have a glossary of television technology terms, and and at, one of the things is t- a talking head, which is the uh." Most boring, yet also most informative <laughs> format of broadcasting. I think he said, "I think you should call your band Talking Heads." And I was like, "Hmm, that does sound good." And David thought it was good, and Tina thought it was good, and so uh, that's what it became. And uh, we thought it was especially good because it uh, it didn't uh, sound like any particular type of music, or, mm-hmm. or even like a band at all more like a circus act or something. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, it didn't sound like a heavy metal band or a psychedelic band or a uh, country band or something. He also, at that time, Wayne gave us the, the lyrics to Artists Only, yeah. the uh, the song about painting.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh is that what? Okay, is that... Why, why would he give you... The- just he was just writing some lyrics. I don't, or was he, he an was He, he wrote musician? some
2: lyrics down and he said, I, th- I think one of us, as I, if I remember correctly, one of us said, Oh, these are really good, Wayne. He said, You can have them. Wow. So we did, <laughs> we, we built a song around them.
1: That's actually a great drum song. Is that what is uh, that? That's a fun one. What's yeah. your favorite Talking Heads drumming song that you like? You know, oh, to.
2: oh, um, maybe once in a lifetime, uh, mm. but 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 also life during wartime is a lot of fun. E, e- Zimbra, for example, all I play is the bass drum and the hi hat for yeah. the whole
0: song.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. a lot of that in talking head songs where some like Tina plays the same beat throughout the, the whole song, or you know, yeah, yeah, listening. we
2: it's kind of, it, it's a, it's a way to get people to dance, you know, get people up and moving
1: works. Okay. So this is a great time to stop. We will return next week as we continue our discussion with Chris Franz, the author of remain in love drummer. for talking heads. i Tom, Tom club. Make sure to follow us. Go ahead, Holly. Where, where can they find us?
0: You can find us. Anywhere. Look into the ether on uh, Facebook at WDDIM podcast on Instagram, WDDIM podcast.
1: Sign up for our website at wddimpodcast.com. So again, until next week, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out.
3: It's NFL draft season. And that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.